listener. Hi, and welcome back to Broadsheet Sydney Around Town. I'm Emma Joyce, Broadsheet's Features Editor, and I host this brief audio guide to Sydney. Today, we're talking about the magic of colour and shapes and symbolism in Russian artist Kandinsky's paintings. His works are hanging in the Art Gallery of New South Wales right now as part of its huge summer exhibition. And senior curator Jackie Dunn guides us through the artist's life, as well as a few tips on what to look for if you're new to his work. Before that, Broadsheet's Grace McKenzie tells us about a new French bistro, which is inside a pub in Roselle. 2023 has been the year of the French bistro. We've had Clam Bar open in the city, Amorica in Surrey Hills, Charlotte Bar and Bistro in McMahon Point, and even the Cricketer's Arms has a bistro upstairs. And that's on top of the excellent French restaurants we already have. Hubert, Bistro 916, Felix, there are so many. Now we can add Chez Blue to the list of French restaurants that have recently opened. It's the new one from the Solitel Group who've opened it inside the Sackville pub in Roselle. Grace, you visited recently and they've gutted the old gaming room in the pub to make way for this bistro. So can you describe the space for me? When I first entered the room, I was honestly like shocked that that had been a gaming room. It is just so beautiful, like light streaming in, art covering the walls, just a really, really charming space. All of the light fixtures and lamps and art covering the walls were all sourced from a flea market in Paris. Um, I was sitting at a little booth and there was like a postcard-sized painting just there. And it was like just like a really beautiful little detail that I was like, oh, someone has really thought about this. So we've been talking about this one since August, I'd say, and I feel like that's because of the calibre of the Solitel group. Can you remind us which venues they look after? Solitel, together with Matt Moran, look after like Aria, Chiswick, um, just a bunch of really beautiful and iconic Sydney dining rooms. And who have they brought across to be in the kitchen at this venue? Mark Williamson is in the kitchen. Um, He has been at Woolara's Bistro Moncur for the last six years. And there's so much competition in Sydney right now for like a good steak frite or just classic French dishes. Are they doing anything different with their French classics? The French classics are definitely there. If you want steak frites, that's what you can get. But Mark has worked for months doing things like a little bit differently There's a Niswa salad that's more of like a tuna tartare with this, I want to say scrambled egg, this cooked egg on top and then like a beautiful crispy like potato galette. Yeah. And then like the chicken liver pate has been um, brulee. You crack it and spread it across like beautiful brioche. And then there's also a salad, which was my favorite, inspired by like a peach melba, which is like a really beautiful dessert, but it was just a really super fresh salad um, that stars tomato and peach. What's on the drinks list? My favourite thing about the drinks list is a trio of mini martinis. Um, I'm super, super into it. I had a croissant washed martini that had this like savoury edge to it. It wasn't overly croissanty. Not buttery? I mean, I guess you could describe it as buttery. They croissant washed the um, Four Pillars gin in-house um, and it was delicious, ice cold. Comes with like a little piece of croissant like as a garnish. It was lovely. Then there's also like a like a classic dirty martini and um, just like a house martini as well. I love that idea. Shea Blue is open now at 599 Darling Street in Roselle. The Art Gallery of New South Wales has opened the doors of its major summer exhibition, which is the largest exhibition of Kandinsky, the Russian modernist artist that Australia has ever seen. 
It's one put together with the Guggenheim Museum in New York. Jackie Dunn, who is the senior curator of exhibitions at the AGSW, has come into the studio to give us a snapshot of what the show looks like, who Kandinsky is or was, and what themes this exhibition draws out. Before we get into who he was and why he was so important in that period of time, this was developed with the Guggenheim Museum and I'd love to know about the relationship between the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Guggenheim and why you came to this particular artist for this exhibition. I think the artist probably came first in this instance, although we've certainly worked with them before and in fact one of the sort of lovely surprises, I guess, of this show is that there will be some older visitors who do recall the last time we partnered with the Guggenheim, which was 1982, on a Kandinsky show. And um, up until that point, that was the largest. Um, So we kind of, we feel like we're revisiting a little bit that relationship with the Guggenheim as well. So you're beating your own record. We are. So he's considered to be one of the great innovators of European abstraction To anyone listening who already feels like, oh, that's too arty, this conversation Mm -hmm. is already above my head. Mm -hmm. Can you give me a sense of the time that he was working in and Mm -hmm. what makes him so significant? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? One of the things that I must say personally I'd felt I really wanted to achieve in this show was just to let the works be so that questions like what is abstraction kind of take a back seat and one just approaches them in the way that Kandinsky most wanted us to approach them, which is just intuitively, emotionally, um, one-on-one, a kind of inter- intersubjective response um, between artist, work and viewer. So that was really important to him. But so parking that question of abstraction again for a moment, I think that look, the late 19th century, early 20th century was a moment of such extraordinary um, sort of exploration in the visual arts as well as so many other arenas. And uh, Kandinsky was right in the middle of wanting to be part of that. You know, he didn't take up painting until he was 30, but he launched himself into Munich. And some of our listeners may think that Paris was probably the centre of sort of late 19th century work, but not to a young Russian. Munich was really considered by many to be one of the European centres worth going to. Um, And, of course, it was another site of Art Nouveau, a really important one, which in Germany was known as Jugendstil, and Kandinsky was very much informed by that when he began. But it was also a place where ideas that really became important to Kandinsky, such as that the idea of sort of synthesis in the arts became significant. So um, this was a moment of experimentation before the First World War. Um, It was a moment of deep sort of social activism for so many artists. And it was just a kind of fabulous, you know, we talk about the 1960s as a kind of a moment that people wished they were at. Well, turn of the century, almost any of those major European capitals, that's where you'd want to be, I think. A work that was from early in his career called Blue Mountain Mm -hmm. shows a horse and a rider motif. And that's something that you see repeated or something that almost fades away, if you like, Mm -hmm. fades away and becomes different shapes or lines Mm -hmm. or colours. And there's so much that you can take from the journey of his work in terms of the colours or the shapes Mm -hmm. or the decisions he's making about what you can see or can't see in the picture. 
Well, in so many respects, I think it was a symbolic use. You know, it was a sense of somebody who had a uh, a particular idea of impetus and action, and the rider he described as as effectively the artist and the artist driving his talent in the horse or the power, the emotional, the creative power. So very much the figure of the artist, but also just a kind of figure of spiritual progression and development on a creative path. Across his works, if you only really take away one thing, I think it's about the sort of meanings that he prescribes to colour. Yes, yes, indeed. Can you tell me about white and blue in particular? Mm. Colour for him was this, it seemed to have a kind of magical capacity to draw people in and to have, again, that emotional response. So he felt that was terribly important. He's very much informed by theosophy. And in the early theosophical writings at the end of the 19th century that were so influential, there's a lot of sort of trying to unpack colour and see what its, its, its potential was for having this direct relationship with the viewer. Kandinsky, on top of that, was very interested in the idea of synesthesia. He clearly had some moments. It didn't dominate his life. So that's yeah. the condition where you see, see colour when you hear music. Indeed, or, or any other version of a kind of conflated, mm. you know, senses. But for him, he certainly describes a couple of moments where that's palpable. Mm. But it also did inform, you know, he had a very strong musical background himself. He was very interested in music as an abstract language. This was one of the things that he became absolutely fascinated by. How can one speak about about painting in this kind of abstract language that music seems to have, you know? But as part of that, I guess that helped inform his understanding of colour. And so you do get wonderful things, like in 1913, when he is painting about with a sense of nostalgia about Moscow, he resolves this major canvas by adding a white border, this sort of almost snowfall that, that sweeps around the, the outside of the work. And for him, white was pregnant with possibilities you know it was a harmonic color it was silent but silent in a different way from how he describes mm. the the absolute death silence of black blue is is a very important color to kandinsky because it is the most spiritual color for him it leads us up to heaven and we see that quite literally in many works and i think even that early blue mountain that you spoke of we are seeing the mountain absolutely bright beautiful blue partly because it points us upwards and it does direct us up to the heavens. But it also has the sound of an instrument. If it's pale, I should say, blue is a flute. When it's deep, it's a cello. And then if it gets really deep towards black, it's uh, a double bass. And each of the colours tends to hold this. That's kind of what he was hearing when he painted them. It's not all Kandinsky's artwork in the exhibition. There is also another artist, uh, Desmond Lazaro, who has sort of geometrical shapes and mm. it's a fun place, very interactive and especially great if you've got children coming along to the mm. exhibition as well. I know that we sat down and mm. drew some triangles and circles <laughs> and all those kinds of things and really engaged with the shapes that are in Kandinsky's mm. work. Why did you decide to do that? It seemed to just be the perfect fit when we considered his work. I think because he's not attempting to deal with Kandinsky per se, but so many of the origin points are the same. So for Desmond, who has an extraordinary cross-cultural background, 
everywhere from Britain to India and Burma, um, working in Saudi Arabia, very, very attentive to long lineages of sacred geometries, of also the way that colour is formed and spoken about. So for Desmond, even though we do have all that geometry, that actually points to the stars, which is rather beautiful, and points to sort of astral movements. He was also an extraordinary colourist and he trained for 12 years in Jaipur on miniature painting and he knows how to grind his pigments and he knows how to also speak about the relationship between the earthbound materiality and uh, a kind of relationship with the stars which comes out of some very ancient traditions of, of equating, say, Mercury with the colour vermilion, you know, through a long roundabout way. It really yeah. got my partner quite excited, I have to say. For a family-friendly area, he was pointing and saying, look at the spiral, that's us, <laughs> that's us moving yeah. around the sun. Yes. And, uh, and lots of those elements are engaged in, in his artwork. So I feel mm. like there's a different way into it for lots of people. What I really hope is that people come back out of Desmond's, back into Kandinsky and sort of recognise that these are the same sorts of things that Kandinsky was interested in when he moved his focus from colour to geometry, for example. And really, what does a circle mean? How is its energy shifted when it's when it has a line attached to it? You know, what is the the direction and movement of a triangle? They sound kind of trite when pulled apart, but it is based on a kind of um, sense of spiritual geometry, I think. And they were meaningful shapes um, for Kandinsky. And I think Desmond alerts us to some of that meaning. What else is coming up at AGNSW? Oh my goodness! We <laughs> well, we have just. Uh, if anyone is is near the gallery at the moment, you'll be seeing um, the spider emerge, Maman, outside the building, and that is, of course, that our other major summer show. The first time we have two major ticketed shows opening um, over summer is Louise Bourgeois, and uh, that is a significant exhibition that will take place across two floors in our new North Building. And that is really something to come and, and boggle at. <laughs> well, Kandinsky is on now at the Art Gallery of New South Wales until March and adult tickets are $35. And Louise Bourgeois opens on the 25th of November. And we'll be talking more about that one next week. And that's all we have time for today. Of course, you can stay up to date with what's happening around Sydney at broadsheet.com.au and at broadsheet underscore Sid on Instagram. Listener Production.